Yo, <laughs> thanks for checking out another edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. It's your boy 12 Kyle. All right, so check it on this particular podcast, man. We got we got something special for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about the certified top five MCs from the 80s. Now, we based it on a certain criteria. Criteria was based on their lyricism, the flow, and the impact that they had on the game. And I got a special guest coming through. The homie Eclectic is coming through, and he's going to add his little twist <laughs> to the podcast. So you know how we do. Sit back, relax, kick your feet up, pass the word. Uh, we'll drop the theme music. Let's get the podcast jumping. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's another edition of the 12 Kyle Podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. Uh, As I mentioned at the top, man, we're talking about the certified top five MCs of the 1980s. Now, MCing was a totally different thing when it came to the 80s, man. And so we're going to break it down, give you the certified top five MCs from the 1980s. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, man, got a special guest, man. This guy, uh, man, he needs no introduction. I, I'm going to give him one, man. You know him. You love him. Or maybe you don't love him. Uh, <laughs> this is my right hand, man. Uh, he has his own podcast, man, the Eclectic mm. Discussion Podcast. Then mm. he has another podcast called the Encyclopedia Hip Hop Podcast. You may have heard mm. me on there once or twice or three times, a lady. And, you know, he also has another podcast. I'm sorry. He's also on Twitter. Uh, you can find him on Twitter mm. at Tweet Rhymes Life. Mm. Uh, you can find him at Eclectic Discussion Podcast on Twitter. Mm. And, you know, he also has this little thing called One Gotta Go. I mean, you've probably mm. seen a whole bunch of people biting the style. And you shouldn't be biting. But that's that's another story for another day. Ladies and gentlemen, mm. my man, my mellow, Eclectic. E, what up, baby? Yeah, what's up? Podcast out there. You better stand clear. <laughs> Eclectic is a world premiere. <laughs> what's good, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 living life like every day is Thanksgiving, man. I'm is. I'm enjoying it. You know, I get to talk hip hop, and um, you know that that's what keeps that's what keeps me young. That's what keeps me vibrant. Talking the hip hop, the real stuff, instead of uh, having to be subject to whatever it is. If I chose to turn on the radio, yeah. Oh my gosh, we, we're not even gonna talk about the radio. Um, but yeah, I got you on, man, because. Obviously, we talk a lot of hip hop, man. We talk a lot. We've talked about it on, you know, your podcast. We talked about it on this podcast, my old 12 radio show. Um, but I think one of the things that's very important is that given the fact that we came up in the 80s, uh, and it's something you said on, on on one of the podcasts that we did, you said, like, we were trained to listen for lyrics. And I think that, and I, I heard that the other day in listening to one of our old podcasts. And it stood out to me, and I never really thought about it, but you're right. We were trained to, to listen to lyrics. Well, if you want to come to lyrics, um, you know, the lyricism really started in the 80s. Uh, so we came up with our certified top five uh, hip-hop MCs in the 80s. Now, th- our list, folks, are just based on a couple of criteria. Lyricism, mm. Uh, mm. the artist's flow, 
mm. and you know their overall impact on the game. But <sighs> as he sighs. But before we get started, man, just for someone who came up in that era, you know, the start of the golden era of hip hop. Uh, just tell people like what it was to be an MC. What what was it like for MCs in the eighties? Well, this is this is how I look at it. Um, you know, we like I said, we were fortunate to grow up in the prime of everything, mm-hmm. and this includes hip hop. So we were there in the beginning when it when it literally started, and when it was at its best. Mm-hmm. Um, now, MCN in the 80s, far different from the 90s and everything that happened after that, because the main emphasis in the 80s was for the audience and the peers to listen to the lyrics and believe that the lyrics that they heard was better than everybody else's. What what the MC wanted was to be the greatest, the best. They wanted, but they wanted respect from other MCs as well. Actually, respect as the best from other MCs was more important than whoever was going to buy it or whoever was listening to it. They wanted to be, um, if you listen to old old time rap, they wanted to be the king. They wanted to be the best. They come first place in any MC contest, <laughs> and um, and with that criteria, it was um, it was the the lyrical content was more important because the music, the production, the the production could have been anywhere from a James Brown sample to some dude making music with his mouth. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really that important. The the, the backing track. It, the production was cool, but a lot of it was somebody else's music anyway. Right. Producers didn't get, you know, producers weren't prominent until the '90s, where they cut, they they shut down on the sampling. When you had to start paying for those samples, that's when the producer was like, "All right, damn, we got to find someone that someone who's gonna make some beats." some for real stuff or you know the studios was just gonna have to pay for the uh sampling but but MCN in the 80s was about lyrical content um was about the flow and was about being better than the next person and if someone thought you weren't better than the next person that next person had to prove it mm. and 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 it was it was no beef it was no fighting no gunshots no no nobody saying anything uh crazy it was just okay well then rap and um that's that's what I love the most about uh, the culture back then. Oh, I, I echo those sentiments, man. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It was really about the lyricism, and everybody that breathed on the mic thought that they were the greatest, and you know they would tell you that in in their rhymes. And you know, one thing I I just really really loved about the '80s too, and you know, and this kind of touches to where we are now in hip hop, if you will, but like there were no collaborations in the eighties. Like you, it was rare for another MC to appear on another MC's record. Why do you think that was important that, you know, the, the, you know, that Kane, you know, necessarily didn't necessarily show up on Rakim's album or something like that. Well, one of the bigger uh, reasons was you had to pay 
<laughs> for studio time or those and it, it, it's like this if i'm gonna scrounge all my money up to get in here nobody else is gonna take any of this time but besides that people wanted to shine they wanted to shine on their own they wanted to they want like i said before when they wanted to be seen as the best you can't be seen as the best when somebody else is right next to you mm-hmm. um and and you wanted whoever was would have been next to you. You wanted to outrhyme them. So if I'm gonna try my best to outrhyme them, why are they gonna be on my album on my single? The other thing is, uh, in the '80s, because we're talking specifically the '80s, people didn't have record deals. They had single deals. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's why when you try to go back and dig in the crates, and you'll find some albums, but it'll be. A thousand, two thousand, three thousand of MCs you never heard of because they only had a twelve inch. Right. They only had a single, and because people weren't getting deals like that when they actually got uh, a single deal or twelve inch deal. I, I can't have my boys on there. I'm only, I only got two songs. <laughs> right, right, and I got to kill it on these two songs. <laughs> yeah, I got to kill it. I can't have nobody around. But, but, but uh, the overarching reason is they wanted to shine on their own. They wanted to show people that they was dope and and they had a vision. They knew how they wanted their song to be. They knew how they wanted their image to be, and 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 they wanted to be their own person. They didn't want to sound like somebody else. They didn't want somebody on their joint sounding like them. Um, the only time you got multiple people was if they were in the same crew and they somebody had a record deal. Mm-hmm. So when um, so Bismarcky brought out Kane. Right. But Kane was never on a Bismarck. He wasn't on get out going off at all. This is true. Um, um, and Biz wasn't on Long Live the King. <laughs> it was listen. I we I got to do my my joint now. When when they made In Control Volume One, you know, people was on song. You know, we had the, the the symphony and stuff. And so the other thing is when MCs got together when they weren't in a crew or a group, it meant something, right? When you would when you go to the the record store because there was there used to be record stores, and you would look at an album cover and you maybe flip it over and you see featuring like they got a song he on that song mm-hmm. I have to hear this song um, and even better than that a lot of times you didn't know you would just get a tape or an album go home put it on and then you hear your, your whoever it is rhyme. And then somebody else come in. You're like, what? You're like, who is that? <laughs> when In Control Volume One came out, on the back of it, it said the symphony. It didn't say the symphony featuring. You know what? You're right. I just you know, thought about that. And, and later releases, later times they pressed it, they put it on there. But when it first came out, it was the symphony. This song's called the symphony. When um, the DOC joint came out, it was like this song's the grand finale. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Him. You didn't know that NWA was going to be on there. Right. You might recognize a voice or two, but you didn't know it, though. Yeah. I mean, uh, Uptown's kicking it. it. It was just the song Uptown's kicking it. You didn't. When um, um, when Rampage came out, mm-hmm. it was just, oh, uh, EPMD got a song called Rampage. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you hear you like, 
nah, LL's on that joint. Right. You know, and, and, and if you didn't really listen, understand it in the beginning, you wouldn't even know until LL's verse came. Mm-hmm. So uh, hip hop used to be, it used to be, a, it had some elements of surprise in it too. And because they, they saw these as songs and, and art, not a marketing ploy. Like, look, they're going to buy this because such and such is on it. Right. You know. And that's really where we are today, man. That, that is, it's all about who's on your album as opposed to it being your album. But, we, you know, we're not here to talk about uh, today's well, hip hop. And real quick, and real quick the, the, these, I don't want to say these people, but um, the consumer, the young consumer, the younger consumer has been trained for that because you were here um yo such and such album just dropped who won it who won it <laughs> like, i thought you was a fan of, what you mean who won it who that that reminds me of like and i know you don't listen to j cole but like when j cole's album came out like i i saw people on the twitter actually criticizing j cole for not having any guest features i'm like it's this fucking album it's supposed it's not supposed to have guest features right i mean like let the man shine if he wants to do an album by himself i mean i think you probably should commend him for that <sighs> but anyway like i said we're not we're not talking about these people of today uh we're talking about our certified top five hip-hop 80s mcs the mcs from the 80s you know, so we're gonna start from we're gonna let's go back and forth. We'll start at number five and work our way up. Um, you know, let's flip a coin. Tails, you go first. Who who you got coming in at number five? Okay, at number five now. Number five, I got Rakim. Thank you for coming out and listening to another edition of the 12 yeah. Kyle Podcast. I got Rakim okay. at number five. Now, this is due to due to your criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, that everybody knows, or at least they should know, that Rakim is the greatest lyricist hip-hop history. But with the 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 criteria that was given to me, mm-hmm. Rakim is um, he's number five. Now this is why, um, Paid in Full came out in '87. So he only had two years in the '80s to be impactful. According to the criteria that I was okay, given. Okay. So if we're talking 80s, he was only active for two <laughs> years in the 80s at the end of the 80s. So it's not much impact. Now, he impacted the fuck out of the 90s. Right. But for the 80s, by the time he came out and did his thing, 80s was over. So, um, so I had to put him at five because by the time he, he did it, everybody else who was also rhyming in A's, they had their style already. He didn't change anybody else's style that was that already had albums out. They already had albums out. Mm-hmm. No, he didn't influence anybody else technically in that decade. But 
the strength of what he did in 87, 88, and 89, he had to be on the list. But if we're talking pure 80s the entire decade, I had to put him in five. Okay. Shouts to Kid Wizard. <laughs> yes, sir. Shout out to Kid Wizard. You know what? Your explanation actually makes sense. I wasn't thinking on those lines, but that's cool because anybody that listens to our podcast, they know that you and I never agree on anything. And, and I'm even looking at this list. I'm pretty sure we're probably going to have, we, we'll probably actually have one or two of the same MCs, but I can almost guarantee that they won't be in the same place, um, especially with Rakim coming at it five. But no, your explanation, while it's not what I was thinking, that's perfect. That's a perfect explanation as to why you had him at five. Um, when I think five, when I think about the criteria, I'm going the cool gangster rap, uh, cool G rap. Uh, I think cool G rap, man, lyrically, and and I, I still, maybe it's the fan of me, but I'm still somewhat bothered by the fact that. I don't think G-Rap really, really, I think like the streets respected him, but I, I I wanted to see him really kind of blow based on the talent level that he had with, I don't want to say commercial success, but some, I guess a little bit more level of success than what he actually had, if that makes sense. Um, but this dude, man, I mean, he was cold. He was cold. And I think one of the things that you talked about you know, earlier as well as on other podcasts was the ability to tell stories. I think that was because you got to remember for those of you listening in the eighties, E and I, we did not have, you know, I mean, eventually they did, you know, come around to, you know, producing a lot of videos, but the first thing that you had was the song. Mm-hmm. So if you had a guy like G rap who could tell a story he painted a picture to where you really quietly didn't even need a video. The video was an enhancement of the song. You didn't need the song for, you didn't need the video for the song. You needed the song for the video, but a guy like him who could tell stories, you know, and paint pictures, particularly for guys like us who didn't grow up in New York city. I think that was just major, man. So his lyricism, his flow, I mean, the impact that I think he had, uh, not just on me, but, you know, a lot of fans who listen to his music and then, his, again, going back to his storytelling, you know, to be honest. And there's some of you listening probably could rank G-Rap higher than what I have him at five, you know, and if you ranked him higher than five, I wouldn't, you know, you get no argument from me. But at five, I got the cool gangster rap, man. Yeah. Um and, and personal rankings. Okay. Because um, what we're doing on this show, I'm doing this somewhat subjective. So I'm just, you know, I, I looked at, the, I listened to the criteria what my man said, lyricism, flow, and impact. And I said, well, okay, if, if this is what I'm, you know, gotta gotta go by, then this list is gonna be different. If it was just my regular... Your personal bias. I have I have Coogee Rap as number two greatest lyricist to ever pick up a mic after Rock Him. So so yeah. So that that even speaks more to what I just said. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who you got checking in at four? Number four, I have KRS One. Okay. And and the reason why I have KRS One at four is again like Rock Kim, he only had a few years in the eighties. 
But the impact that he had was crazy because he he did a lot of things. He did a lot of things in the 80s. And and, and the reason why he's above Rakim is because Rakim um, lyrical content you know, the, the lyrics is what, you know, put Rakim over. Mm-hmm. But KRS-One, he had the lyrics, but he also did production. He also he also brought the reggae into mm-hmm. hip-hop. Um, and he had a very, very influential beef that carried in the 80s with it. with multiple people. It wasn't just uh, Shan. It was Shantae. It was Cool C. It was Steady B. <laughs> so it was a lot of people that he was going, you know, he was he was rocking with. So so the fact that he had the lyrics, he had um what two classic albums in the eighties. Um and 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 like I said, he brought the reggae flavor into, into hip hop. He produced. He he did joints for Just Ice. He worked with Mantronics. He did D Nice. Uh, so uh, it, you know, stop the violence mm, joint. Mm. So um, so so I had to put him on the list, and but because of. 87, 88, 89, I had to put him lower on the list, but he had to be on the list regardless. Oh, no question. No question. Like I said, you get no argument from me. Um, Coming in at four for me, Big Daddy Kane. Um, See, he doesn't like this. (laughs) Shout out to Rashawn Jamal. Um, Yeah, Kane comes in at four for me. I think um, Kane, man, was... He was a guy, man, that just really, at least seemingly to us, like came out of nowhere. And his rhyme style, his flow. Uh, and then once we got a chance to see Kane on stage, Kane was, for me, was one of the first MCs that I can remember that incorporated uh, dancing with his dancers. Uh, shout out to Screw Scrap. Um, dancing in his routines as far as like his stage show. So while... I didn't see Kane in concert in 88. Um, you know, seeing videos of him performing, I thought was was dope. And I think, man, Kane was just somebody who really, you know, set the tempo as far as like what an MC should be on a stage as far, as far as his show. And then obviously, you know, one of the impactful things that Kane did was, you know, he birthed MCs like Biggie and Jay-Z. Oh, <laughs> Much to the chagrin of a man over here. But, yeah, I got Kane coming in at four, man. Long live the Kane. Long live the Kane. All right, so we move on to number three. Uh, who you got at number three? Number three, I have Slick Rick. Okay, okay. Now, um, Slick Rick was very, very uh, uh, unique. He had a distinctive flow mm. um, with the accent. The lyrics are underrated. He was underrated as a lyricist. If you listen to some of the the early joints, he says he says dope, dope stuff. Um, other than that, what he did was he um, for a brief time, and this is in the eighties, is the mid eighties. For a brief time, every 
MC that came out after after Slick Rick tried to tell a story like Slick Rick. Mm. <laughs> and Slick Rick, you know, was he has three of probably the top and this is crazy when you say it out loud, but three of probably the top ten greatest hip hop songs of all time. He's he has something to do this, with them. This is true. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's an incredible percentage. You know, even if you take it up to fifteen, you don't have one person with no. three of them. Um, and so after Lottie Dottie came out, anybody with a beatbox had to have a story to tell and they tried to tell it like Slick Rick um, on top of that Slick Rick's fashion sense was off the chart nobody was dressing like Slick Rick in the 80s as much as I wanted to simply couldn't <laughs> afford it because most people couldn't afford it. <laughs> he had the, the the cardigans, the Kangos, the cable knit sweaters, the Gucci, the Fendi, the Louis, the Bally's, the Gazelles. This dude and the, the, the giant truck jewelry, the, the, the rings. He was the most stylish dude out. And so um, that's why, you know, for the 80s, Slick Rick, Slick Rick the ruler. I got him at number three. Oh man, shout out to Ricky D, man. I that dude, man. You, you're right, and and his ability once again to tell stories, I thought was incredible. Um, you 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 took me back with his his gear, man, because we all wanted to look like that dude, man. And the crazy part about it was nobody could pull that off in hip hop, but Rick. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody. Um, my number three, man. Uh, is a guy who actually, you know, he was for the '80s. Was kind of you know a little bit more established as far as his time frame in the '80s than the the previous uh, uh, MCs that I mentioned, man. Um, but this guy, incredible. Ladies love Cool James. Um, LL Cool J, man. He's coming in at three for me. Uh, I think LL. Uh, obviously, you know, when people talk about LL to this day, they talk about his longevity, but LL came into the game as a kid. Like, you know, I think the first time that I heard LL was seeing him in Crush Groove and Crush Groove was what, 84? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, then the album comes out and here's this teenager, uh, you know, who a guy who is, you know, when you look at him at the time when we were looking at him in the 80s he wasn't that much older than us even though he is older than us um but uh i I was i was really impressed man with just how he commanded the stage what he rhymed about um you know another great storyteller uh and then he obviously when he got when when we moved into the 90s he kind of transitioned to you know really the LL moniker, if you will, as far as ladies loving him, but even then he was still spitting bars. Um, now, my, my friend over here, he's a he's a bigger LL fan than I, but nonetheless, I love LL. Um, I have nothing but respect for him. I think, as far as his lyrics, his flow, his impact on the game, um, and like I said, people always talk about his longevity. But even before you get to his longevity, 
you have to go back to where where LL started from. And if you go back to that time of radio bad, those two albums, I mean, you know, really put LL on the map. And then one of the great things about the 80s was hearing those albums. Not only did they put LL on the map, but LL raised the bar for other MCs. And that's the thing I think that people kind of lose sight of in, you know, rhyming today. You know, it's not just about how many albums you sell or how many streams you have or anything like that, but it's about lyrically pushing the envelope to the point where you raise the bar where other people hear your shit and they're like, yo, I got to go back in the lab and do it again because I just heard, yo, you just heard this LL album. Yo, we got to do this again. And he was that type of guy. I mean, he already he told you now, I'm the type of guy. Um, but yeah, man, coming in at number three for me, ladies love cool James, James Todd Smith, some would call the GOAT. LL. <laughs> Who you got it mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm, man? And number two, I have one of the founding members of Run DMC. Run. Joseph Simmons. Okay. Um, the reason behind this is he's a very very underrated MC. He had lyrics. Now listen, he didn't have as many complex rhymes as you would have in the later 80s going into the 90s, but we're talking 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, what he was doing in the 80s kind of um, up until up until Coogee rapper Ron Kim started spitting and maybe LL yeah up until LL but up until then what he did set the bar for how you were supposed to rhyme because he took it from the Wonder Mike and the Big Bang Hanks hip hop and the, even the Melly Mel and turned it into he brought it to the street and um, and I gotta give Ron his props for that on top of that his flow was strictly run. I mean, you they call him Runk, but he never ran. And the <laughs> B-Boy stance is how he stand. Um, um, and the style. The, the 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 Godfather hats, the Adidas with no shoelaces, no shoestrings in them. Did not win them. Um and 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 the fact that they were so dope. People thought that they were on Def Jam. They were never on Def Jam. Little known fact. <laughs> yeah, they were on Profile Records, but um, um, but I, I gotta give I gotta give a shout out. He does not get his due. He doesn't. He doesn't get his due. So for the eighties, for the eighties, for the decade, because he rocked damn near the entire, mm-hmm. the entire eighties. Um. If you if you think about it, um, Run DMC, uh, they had mm, the first joint was nineteen. Well, the first joint was nineteen eighty four, but they had singles out before then. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we're talking in the in the midst of the eighties. Uh, Run DMC had a joint in eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, and eighty eight. So. 
Um, it was a lot of influence and all of them was something, you know, even in 1998, they did Tougher Than Leather off a, um, a movie. Right. They, they did the movie and the soundtrack, you know, so um, I, I, I got I got run to number two. OK, OK. Um, that's that's. Oh, that's, and, and let's not forget. Let's not forget the um, they were the first to get a major product endorsement to Adidas. Can't beat that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat that. People still wearing Adidas because of Run DMC to this day. Um, coming in at number two for me, man. Knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. KRS One, man. Um, this guy, I think, lyrically, he even to this even to this day when I listen to his stuff from '87, '88, '89, it like it makes me stop in my tracks because like the lyricism we had never heard stuff on that and and the thing is that always impressed me about KRS-One was not only was he lyrical but he was clear like so you could play KRS-One for your mom back in 88 and she would understand she might not get it but she would understand every word that he was saying because he was very clear at enunciating his words Right, <laughs> you know, but KRS One, man, I mean, dope rhyme sayer. Uh, you know, for many of the reasons that he mentioned, you know, his production work. Uh, but just in the '80s, man, when I think about somebody who really, really touched and impacted hip hop, and just really, you know, had bars and you know was conscious about it. You know, he could be controversial if he wanted to be. He came, he came at you with so many different styles. Like he said, he brought reggae to the table. Um, there has not been many who have done, who have come into the game and, and did what KRS-One did. And, you know, you can make a case that we may not have ever heard of KRS-One if Shannon never responded to, you know, his diss. Um, and he obviously was not someone that you wanted to battle. As he mentioned, uh, he would battle anybody and you know, nine times out of ten, he was gonna win. So yeah, coming in at, at number two for me, man. Knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. KRS One. All right, man. Um, we at, we're here. We're here. We're, we're we're at number one, man. Um, talk to the people. Who, who you got at number one, man? Uh, number one is LL Cool J. Okay. I gotta have LL Cool J. Um, number one. Um, besides being the GOAT, um, he started when he was 16. This is 1984. Again, a lot of the people in the early part of my list, you know, they only had a couple of years in. Mm-hmm. But this dude rocked for damn near the entire decades. 84, um, I need a beat. He, um, he, he produced and mixed his own demo tape. Mm. Um, he, uh, he 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 programmed all the beats for his demo. He, he was the first the first artist signed to Def Jam, the legendary hip hop label. Um, he um, the other thing the the, the influence. You know, and you know, because the longevity thing that happens after the nineties and two thousands and now, but even then, 
It's two, and I've said this on the previous podcast. There's two, and there's only two. Thank God there's only two. But there's two symbols of hip-hop. When someone wants to show you what hip-hop is, a rapper or something, they're either a guy and a run godfather had in the gold chain. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, there's a guy and a red Kango <laughs> and a gold chain. And that is only LL Cool J. That's the inf He's basically the Jerry West. He's the logo. And people don't think about that until I say it. But if you go Google, you know, rapper or something, you're going to see a red Kango and a gold chain or somebody. And that, it's not Shan. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so you know, it is not. Shout out to Shan. It is not Shan. Um, um, again, uh, his his album, Radio, iconic. Um, I can't live without my radio. Uh, Dairy Vet, Rock the Bells. You know, excuse me for a second. Um, incredible. Then. Um, and bad, bad came out with you know the song bad, but I need love. People went crazy over I need love. Not to mention the fact that he had two love songs on radio that came out before that, which you know personally, you know I like better. Uh, I could give you more, and um, uh, I want you. But um, I didn't like I want you, but I, I, I hear you. I want you. <laughs> I want. I'm gonna tell you what's so dope about I want. Well, that's not what's so dope about it, but my favorite thing. <laughs> Because this gives you this gives you a, a a glimpse of how simple things were and how easy things were back in the day. He's talking about going to meet a girl and, at a bar, and he says, um, "You sip gin and tonic with a double whole straw. Finally, I get the nerve to buy you one more." The bartender smirks. I whisper, "He's a jerk." I'm wearing leather pants and a $30 shirt. This <laughs> you had the brag that you had on a $30, $30 shirt. yo. Hey, I love that, man. It's fucking crazy. But, um, um, so, so, so the influence is there. The lyrics is there. And, 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 and as far as the flow before, when I was talking about run being the standard bear for how the lyrics and the flow went, up until when LL came out. Because mm -hmm. as much as people like to give Rakim his due for changing the game or changing how people had to go back and write uh, and present their lyrics, LL did it first. Because LL went from the uh, Run DMC, it's like that, y'all, it's like that, y'all, to... But radio, believe me, you like right, it loud. Right. I'm man, what you know? I mean, he he totally nobody rhymes like that until LL. Now, people, some historians will say Tila Rock did on his yours, but it wasn't the same though. It wasn't he quite, did, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't quite the same. LL before Rakim and before Karis changed how you were supposed to do your lyrics and brought the energy. You know, he running around the stage ripping his shirt off. He brought the energy to his to to hip hop. So um because of that in the eighties, um 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him as uh, number one. Not to mention again, he had three albums in the '80s, radio in '85. Not um, he had uh, I need a beat joint in '84, but you know that's a single. Radio in '85, bigger and deafer in '87, walking with a panther in '89, and he had, you know Mama said like y'all came in the '90s right right at the turn. So um, you know LL Cool J. Okay, okay. Oh, and he was in uh, three movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was okay. in Wildcats. I was going to say, wait, okay, give me the three movies because I don't remember Crush Groove, man. He was in Crush Groove and there was another docu- uh, documentary um, about hip hop. Okay. It's like Big Town, it was called. I and he remember was, Wildcats. And he was in, yeah, he was in, he was With, in Wildcats. Uh, Goldie Hawn. Hawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Goldie Hunt and um, uh, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I vaguely remember that movie, but I do remember him being in it. I okay. mean, that's, that's that's crazy when you think about it, man. But, you know, go ahead. <laughs> so there it is, man. He's giving you his his number one LL. Um, I'm going to reverse it, man. My number one, the God, man, Rock him. Uh, if you've listened to my podcast, uh, Ian and I did a podcast on Paid in Full. Um, everybody knows I, I think Rakim is the, the greatest of all time um, there's really not much I can say about Rakim that you don't already know but I, I will say this much um, Rakim in the 80s like he said man just when he came out uh, cats had to go back and start writing like they just had because it literally was some things that he was talking about or saying just from an MC's perspective that like you really had to sit and listen and he will tell you the same thing like there were rhymes in these albums and in his singles that you had to because you know we didn't have cd players in the 80s uh in your tape deck you had to keep pressing rewind because you had to understand first of all you had to break down what it was he said when and and you know that was big on us in the 80s we we would get the lyrics and and write the lyrics down or, or at least try to memorize the lyrics and then once you memorized it or wrote him down, you still had to try to figure out what it was he was saying. So, you know, I think this guy, man, was really just ahead of his time. Um, he is widely recognized as the greatest MC of all time. Uh, he definitely comes in at my li- on, at number one on my list. Uh, and, you know, like I said, he and I, we have ironic. And, you know, this is weird because we actually have three of the same people on the list. Now, we're not none of a match. But, hey, that's progress for us. So, again, folks, this is how we did it. We based it on lyrics. Um, we based it on, excuse me, their lyricism, their flow, and the impact that they had in the 80s. These are our certified top five MCs from the 80s. Uh, but before we get out of here, E, man, tell the people where they can find you, man. Man, you just, 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 look, just look over your shoulder, honey. Uh, um, um, shouts to Mike. Um... On Twitter, at Eclectic, that is E-C-L-E-C-T-I-K. Mm. On Twitter, at Tweet Rhymes Life. A lot of hip-hop there. On Twitter, at Podcast DDP. Mm. On Twitter, at One Gotta Go. I'm there. Um, I listen to the podcast. If you go into your, your Google machines, if you go into your Apple uh, iOS device, if you go into Stitcher, if you go into SoundCloud, 
and you put in the eclectic discussion podcast you're going to get a lot of old school joints if you go into your twitter machine and your, your stitcher and your apple ios device and your soundcloud and you put in encyclopedia hip-hop you're gonna get nothing but golden era hip-hop um, um podcast topics so um and if you go to at one gotta go and you got some time man just enjoy the game you know retweet it yeah retweet it but don't bite it <laughs> nah um I, uh, craig g said the sign is still on the door still on the door man no biting allowed Yo, man, that's going to do it for us. You guys know how to find me, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. You know what it is. Like, yeah, if they're listening to this. Yeah, man, they know how to find me. So um, if you have any questions, uh, if you you know disagree, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, man. We'll answer back. We, we might even you know not laugh at you. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at 12Kyle, the number one, two, K-Y-L-E. Uh, that's going to do it for us, man. So for my man E, I'm your host, 12Kyle. We'll catch you guys next time. 5Gs. Mm.